Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Hello and welcome back to the Shoeless Goat Podcast for a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I'm joined again after a short or call it long hiatus with the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how you doing after a couple weeks off? Nick, it's good to be back. You know, just needed that time to kind of refresh myself, especially with the tail slide the White Sox have kind of pseudo tail slide have gone into. But it uh, feels good to get back out here finally, uh, get the ball rolling a little bit, get some momentum. Yes, momentum right into when Sunday, when we usually record, being the 4th of July. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's going to be, you know, that's just adversity. Yeah, I'm feeling another Monday recording, much like today's. Hey, you know what? Mondays are as good a day as any. Yeah, uh, unless you ask Garfield the cat. Yeah, true. (laughs) Anyway, um, so, yeah, we took a couple weeks off. We're not going to go over those weeks we missed because it's, summer baseball and none of us really remember what happened two weeks ago anyway so this weekly recap is going to start with well last week so pat you want to take us uh down not so memory lane with the white Sox previous week yeah sure so overall the week for the white Sox, i think seemed a lot worse than it actually ended up being they went two and three on the week which wasn't great but it leaves them at 45 and 32 they're about two games up on cleveland um, it's just the baseball hasn't felt good ever since they beat the Rays at home about two weeks ago. They got swept by Houston right after that, which led into this week. Uh, first series of the week was at Pittsburgh, which seemed like a get-right series. They ended up splitting those two games, which, I mean, you, you want to sweep that, but a split isn't terrible. It's two games, not the end of the world. Overall, though, that series was pretty frustrating. The first game, you thought they finally maybe had a spark lit. Yasmani Grandal came in and hit a pinch hit three-run homer to give him a 3-2 lead. Fortunately, after that, the bullpen kind of imploded, mainly Garrett Crochet. He got hit really hard by four batters, um, and they lost 6-3. to three. Game two was cl- uh, cleaner. It was a 4-3 win, another multi-RBI game from Grandall. So you at least salvaged the split there. Again, not great, but it, not bad, but it just doesn't feel good, I guess you could say it. Like, you want to sweep the Pirates, although the Pirates seem to be giving teams trouble uh, when you least expect it. Second series, again, seemed like a nice uh, get-well series. It was against the Mariners, who had been hot Unfortunately, though, the story of that series was just not having enough major league caliber offense. Um, Friday night was reopening night, a lot of energy in the stadium, and the Mariners basically just completely stomped out that energy. They won 9-3 to with really the only life the Sox had in that game was Grandall hitting another home run, uh, I think, to uh, pull the score to 2-1. to Saturday then was looking really good. Lance Lynn had no hitter through three innings. Unfortunately, then the rain came in as it had been storming all day. Pretty much they found a little window. Um, so the game got pushed to Sunday. Lance Lynn is out. Dallas Keuchel is in in relief, his first relief appearance since 2013. Um, and he did good, but he only only gave up two runs. And then Liam Hendricks came in for the ninth and gave up a homer, but just two runs of offense typically isn't going to get it done. Worse, though, probably from that game, Jose Abreu leaves, got drilled in the knee by a sinker um, and left the game immediately. X-rays were clean, which is good, but just another injury the Sox don't need. And then they got out with a win on Sunday. Um, overall, pretty good game. Uh, from Zach Collins and Yerman Mercedes, kind of tying back into the Jose Abreu 
uh, injury, those guys combined for all seven RBI. So if you could get one of those two hitting at a remotely productive level, that would be huge because right now the White Sox are really hurting and they have a chance now until the All-Star break to have get some pretty good momentum. You got six against the Twins, three against Detroit, and three against Baltimore. Could really get things rolling back then, but you're going to need some offense to get there. Yeah, if only they hadn't, uh, you know, called up their entire farm system, they would still have some farm to bring up with the injuries. I think I mean, that's like we are the craziest thing about these injuries is that we are like long past the days of like Billy Hamilton, like being a concerned that Billy Hamilton is in the lineup. He was like two layers of depth ago is when that was going on. Yeah. And, you know, until about 10 minutes ago when we talked beforehand, I didn't know Jose Abreu got hurt, which yep. is kind of bizarre considering he is the reigning MVP. Yeah, and all-star finalist uh, at first base. But, you know, it was bad. It was like it like it was the type of one where it's like the ball hit his knee and he just went down on the ground, which for him, that like that guy will not go out for anything. So him not being able to put weight on the leg pretty much made everybody think the worst. But luckily it seems like it's just kind of a day-to-day deal, which is probably best-case scenario there. Yeah, it's probably a deep bone bruise, but if anyone who's ever had one of those knows, you can't really do anything on it, which sucks. Yeah, especially like right off the kneecap there, just bad news all around. We we sound like doctors. I mean, I we're close. Yes, doctor. I took a few. Okay. I took a few classes in college. I have. I technically have a doctorate, but that certainly does not make me a doctor. I um, you're a doctor of the law in my book. There we go. Love to hear it. All right, let's do a Cubs weekly recap. Uh, not so good for the Cubs either. Some highs, some highs of highs, and some lows of lows. Two and four on the week, so it's slightly worse than. The White Sox, uh, they start the week actually after that 2-4 and four at a 42-36, and 36, which is three games back for the Brewers, who they're playing now, and three games up with the Reds. The Cardinals have imploded, and now all their fans on Twitter are saying, oh, we're trying to tank. Love to see it. Uh, couldn't when, happen. You, you, when you trade for Nolan Arenado, you're tanking. Yeah, exactly. The Arenado tank. Uh, absolute class. It's a good thing they didn't have to give up anything for him. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Um, they opened up a two-game series, a World Series rematch against the Indians uh, at Wrigley Field. Uh, they lost the first game 4 nothing. This is when the offense just started to fall apart or just die. It just wasn't getting going like it was in previous series against like the Padres and towards the end of that Giants series. But in any case, they salvaged the split, much like the White Sox did with a 7-1 to victory. Uh, against the Indians in that two-game split. Uh, Then the Dodgers, uh, they fly to L.A. for a four-game set, having swept them earlier in the season. Uh, Thursday was the most exciting part of the week with a 4-0 victory. The most exciting part about it is that it was a combined no-hitter, which we'll certainly talk about the significance of in a little bit. But anyway, in any case, uh, Zach Davies went six, got pulled because he was at 94 pitches, which my dad was very upset about, saying, you keep him in until he gives up the hit. I say no. Uh, which is fine with me. Uh, Tapera, Winkler, and Kimbrell, who did not even know that it was a no-hitter. I'm sorry, not uh, not Winkler, Chafin. Sorry. So Davies, Tapera, Chafin, Kimbrell. Uh, but in any case, uh, Kimbrell did not know that it was a no-hitter. So when uh, Wilson Contreras, who was the only one um, who played the most significant role, I would say, uh, catching all nine innings, started to freak out. He finally realized something was going on. The team was going crazy. But to our point later, um, does that mean it's a big deal if the pitcher didn't even know what was going on? But in any case, we move on. And we move on to three losses in a row, uh, which we'll go through. Friday was a 6-2 loss. Again, the offense just did not come alive. Um, 
homers were a problem in that one. Saturday uh, should be a game under protest, if you ask me, but um, this is one of very few occasions where I will do that. It was a 2-2 game. Jason Hayward uh, hits a ball into the corner, which looked to be a home run, was originally called a home run, making the game 3-2 in the favor of the Cubs. Before they went to replay, another umpire said, no, it's a foul ball. So the official call was changed to a call on the field foul ball. And then they go to replay in which they said not enough evidence to overturn. It wasn't like a confirmed clear foul ball. In any but every replay I looked at, you could not tell if it was a home run or not. It was so, so close. What bothers me the most about that is the call on the field was the most important call, and that was changed on the fly without replay. And I think that's completely wrong. In any case, it remained a 2-2 game only for Cody Bellinger to hit a walk-off home run in the ninth for the Cubs to lose 3-2. Leaving Sunday, a Sunday night baseball game, um, a chance to possibly come back and show that you're mentally strong through adversity, much like us taking two weeks off and coming back. Uh, but it, it was not to be. Alzali gave up a grand slam in the third inning. The game was pretty much over for there. Seven to one was the final score. Cubs dropped three of four to the Dodgers um, and do not continue their sweeping ways against elite teams in the National League. Uh, but in any case, that is the Cubs week two and four still in pretty good position, especially if they can take two of three from the Brewers uh, these first three games this week. Yeah, you know, funny you bring up replay. Me and the other Nick had a uh, nice discussion <laughs> about that a couple weeks back. But it's one of those things where it's like, like why? Like I wasn't watching the game, obviously. What like what umpire called called off the home run? So home run was called home run by the third base umpire, and then the home plate umpire called it a foul ball. Uh, yeah, that seems that's that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the further away, you know, that happens in like college basketball and basketball all the time is like, you'll call, it'll be like a blocking call, like under the basket, the ref will call it. And then some ref will come sprinting from like center court and be like, Nope, it was a charge. We're going the other way. And it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, so it was, I thought it destroyed the momentum for the game. It, you know, left the door, like, of course, score more than three runs win the game definitively, despite that, but he took a home run oh, away from him. Yeah. They asked Jason Hayward. He said, I didn't see it. I don't know. So like, at least, you know, he's honest about it, but I thought it was, it was, it was trash like to overturn the call before looking at it. And then the reason that they couldn't get the right answer was it wasn't definitive proof. It was, it was a game they should have won or at least had a chance to win. Um, had that not occurred, it was late in the game too. It was like the seventh or the eighth inning. At least young Jock got his ring though. That's true. And young Jock's brother, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. That's a good move by the Dodgers. Yeah. Well, um, should the rings be smaller, though, because it was only a 60-game series? Like, should there be, like, you know, two-thirds uh, less diamonds in there? Yeah, the diamonds are, what was the buzzword last year? Uh, pro, well, pro, pro rata. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Pro-rated uh, diamonds, yeah. Oh, pro-rated diamonds, yeah. Now, the, um, what was I going to say also? Oh, yeah, but the only thing is, is we disclaim... Um, or we call this Dodgers championship like phony Mickey Mouse. We also have to say that about Jose Abreu's MVP. No, we don't. So, yeah, nope. Nope. same rules apply, my friend. I no, I don't. It, the individual stats are different because everybody had the same sixty games. The Dodgers are. I'm. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I would say you're clearly the tone in your voice says I'm about to make some shit up right now. Well, yeah, I mean I was, but I don't. <laughs> it's all the well, same. Everybody well, had sixty games. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, let's get into Player of the Week. Who was the Player of the Week for the White Sox? Yeah, so the Player of the Week for the White Sox, there weren't very many that played well, but for me, it's Yasmani Grandal, your guy again, and a finalist for the All-Star Game vote at catcher. Disgusting. Um, oh, come on. Look at look at War. Look at WRC+. Plus. He's up there. I mean, average doesn't mean anything anymore. It's 2021. We're past that. Any event, though, this past week, he was basically the only major source of offense until Sunday. Like, they desperately needed him. He came in off the bench and hit that home run against Pittsburgh that should have won the game. Um, on the week, he hit over 300, which, hey, there you go, batting average. Uh, had a 444 on base percentage, walked four times, had two homers and seven RBIs. And him heating up in May and now June has been huge because with Jose Abreu not hitting great since uh, the, the calendar turned to June, Yohan Moncada has been – decent he hasn't really gotten his power going so they basically have no power in that lineup right now so Yasmani Grandal has been desperately needed and in my book and according to all of the ballots I am just flooding into MLB as an all-star I don't want to hear about Sal Perez don't want to hear it vote early vote often that's all I have to say uh the AL catcher um I guess market is 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 a little diminished, so maybe Yaz does does get it. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, it's Buster Posey, uh, Yadi Molina, and Wilson Contreras in that order currently for the National League. So two, two Hall of Famers. <laughs> oh, Wilson and Buster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, we'll go to Player of the Week for the Cubs. Uh, I got to give honorable mention before I get into it, um, which we'll expand upon but uh jason hayward went eight for 16 with three runs no rbi though should have been one rbi but we won't get into that anymore uh but i have to give the um this is you know ceremonious this this is a rule we have if you have a no hitter you get you know you get player of the week so this goes to four guys i guess so we have our sunday night football uh, board filler once again uh the combined no hitter of davies to para chafin and kimbrell um so pat that being my players of the week, what are your thoughts on the combined no-hitter in terms of significance? Um, yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot, and like this kind of brings me back to the conversation we had about Madison Bumgarner having a seven-inning no-hitter, and that to me just seems like it shouldn't count because it's seven innings. But like the So to me, I guess the combined no-hitter counts, but it feels like it shouldn't. Like, if they don't know what's going on, and the starter only went six innings as compared to seven, so that's its own deal. I just, it's not as cool. You know, like, it's, because it's, I don't want to say it's ever, like, a truly individual accomplishment, but it mainly is the starting pitcher. So it's just, if, especially in this day and age where people are just bringing fireballers out of the bullpen, not necessarily that being what that was, it just, it doesn't feel right. Like, something about it is just off. I kind of agree. I think the most important, there's two very important parts about um, this combined no hitter. One, you know, hit the world champs, you know, hit the Dodgers. I think that is the most important thing to take away from the combined no hitter. And two, Wilson Contreras caught his first no hitter because the other ones were Montero and David Ross and Caratini. So um, I think that that's important. I did not get nearly as excited about this one than I did the two Jake Arrietas or the Alec Mills before that. So I agree. The vibe is different when that like last out happened. I was like, Oh, cool. You know, it was yeah. not like, I was not like going nuts. Like you would have gone nuts for Rodon. That know, was like, yeah, yes, like yesterday or Sunday, the Sox, they had a combined no hitter for a seven inning double header game through five. And that would have just thrown my head for a pretzel if they would have finished that one up. Yeah, um, so what's more impressive then, a nine-inning combined no-hitter like the Cubs or the seventh-inning Madison Bumgarner oh, no-hitter? Oh, God. I, 
I think I feel like I've already dug my grave on that one, so I have to say that combined no hitter just because they went through the nine innings. But it like it 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 shouldn't be. There's no logical reason for that to be more impressive than one pitcher seeing 21 batters versus the other one. The only only one pitcher saw 18 batters. I it's I don't know. I, you definitely saw more than 18 batters because of the eight walks yeah, that were right. also issued by Cubs pitching that day. So it's like the Edwin um, Jackson special. Yeah. Hey. That no-hitter he threw got him a four-year, $52 million contract with the Northsiders. Cooked so, his arm, but... Yeah. Uh, how many pitches? Like 140 it's like 145. Oh my that's God. what I've been throwing. Uh, not to get too much into a tangent, but, you know, in the show these days, that's what I'm throwing with Lance Lynn and my Sox franchise. Just going out there and just riding the horse. No, it's great radio talking about the video games we play. I was actually killing it in Super Smash Brothers before we uh, before we got on here. So, in any case, uh, moving on. I'm glad we're kind of on the same page. I was I was pumped about it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool for Wilson Contreras, but yeah. In any case, but it's more of like a subdued cool, I guess. I think it's cool that it adds to the team's overall no hitters. Yep. I think it's cool that you did it against. The, one of the preseason picks to win the World Series. I think those are two things yeah. that are very cool about it, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, but in any case, it is time to move on to a very special version, not really, we just the same version, we just have some pretty good ones, of the LinkedIn Player Profile. For those who don't remember LinkedIn Player Profiles, when we go through the life of a former Cub, a former White Sox, uh, using LinkedIn as a primary source, sometimes Wikipedia as well, may invoke some fun memories. Pat, I know you're excited about yours, so I'm going to make you wait. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, was about ready. I was planning on my intro there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you'd been going first this whole episode, so I'm going to take over. And it's because I think I've done this player before, so maybe we can get through it a little quicker. Um, but in any case, he he came into my life in a a uh, in a different professional setting, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but this week's Cubs LinkedIn player profile is Sean Estes, who was the. Um, the fifth starter of that 2003 Cubs team who, who didn't really get some that much playoff action during that run, but was a, an important part behind uh, Wood and Priors and Brano, Matt Clement. And then you had that fifth starter, Sean Estes. In any case, he had a nice career of about 13 years. Started off with the Giants where he did the most damage uh, from 1995 to 2001, was a Met in 2002, then a Red, uh, then Cubs for one year in 2003, Rockies, Diamondbacks, and then Padres. Uh, he was also an all-star in 97, career win-loss of 101 and 93, so pretty solid, uh, 471 ERA with 1,210 strikeouts. Uh, he's a Nevada guy, and as I said, he started with the Giants. Um, most of the stats that come up for him are his hitting stats, surprisingly. Um, even though he was a pretty decent pitcher, he had four career home runs and 28 RBI, including a grand slam in 2000 um he was the first pitcher in giants franchise history to hit a grand slam since monty kennedy of 1949's team so i'm not sure if they were um in new york at the time so he might have been the first san francisco giant don't quote me on that though in any case he got even more exciting when he went to the mets and uh, we all remember when mike piazza threw a bat at roger clemens prompting him to get beaned thereafter and then the next time roger clemens was up to bat which i think believe was in the 2000 world series or no it was it was later on but uh they were playing against each other and sean estes threw about a foot behind roger clemens um and then the next time estes was up he hit a home run off of um roger clemens 
as a crowd of 54,347 started chanting Roger. So you'd love to see that. He was with the Cubs um, on a one-year deal in 03, and that's when he was the fifth starter, as we said. Rockies, Diamondbacks, Nationals, he was all around. Um, so what is he doing now? Let's take a look at his LinkedIn first off. Um, we'll go with the fact that he has not uh, really posted a whole lot on it, he, although he does have 500-plus connections. All he has here is uh, pitcher from 95 to 2010, so 15 years. So he's definitely counting his uh, minor leagues as well. And then for the past 10 years, from 2011 to now, he's been a uh, San Francisco Giants analyst. So he does the, the pregame and the postgame. Uh, but in any case, pretty good career, pretty fun moments uh, with rivalries and interesting playoff teams that he played for. Your LinkedIn player profile this week, Sean Estes. That, yeah, that Clemens story, I don't remember that whole back and forth with him. Like, I remember the throw of the bat, but I do not remember that home run at all. I feel like that's something I should remember. Yeah, we were pretty young, but um, yeah. I'm sure if you ask Sean Estes, that's something he would uh, probably bring Always up pretty quickly. Yeah, he was also in the Giants' wall of fame in their outfield, just like, uh, which was kind of interesting because um, he didn't put up great numbers with them, but I think that Grand Slam has a lot to do with it. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good for him. Uh, in any case, Pat, who do you have this week for your LinkedIn player profile, the White Sox? So I am doing a player who had a big effect on recent White Sox history, despite only playing for them for three seasons. Most of the impact was done away from the White Sox. And I am talking about Mike Cameron, former outfielder who played 16 years in the majors for about half the league. And I'm just going to start off by saying his Wikipedia page is an absolute roller coaster ride. Um, so I'm just going to go off. This is just in the intro. He was the 13th player to hit four home runs in a game. He he is, I think, let's see, one of uh, the 20th player to hit 250 homers and get 250 steals, and the only MLB player in the history of the sport to hit two home runs in a single game for eight different teams. And I, I don't think that record will ever get broken. That's amazing. One, two, what's even more amazing is the guy who had to calculate all the that. The research behind that, that's got to be, yeah, that's tough. I mean, maybe I... If you would have asked me who would have gotten that, maybe it was Matt Stairs, but no, it's Mike Cameron. Um, so getting back into his background a little bit, he is a native of LaGrange, Georgia, not Illinois. Um, made famous by ZZ Top and also home of uh, rapper Bubba Sparks, who was famous like 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess, like, keeping on that roller coaster theme, his grandmother kept him from playing baseball as a high school junior because he failed a chemistry class. As a result, he drew less attention from scouts. That is verbatim from Wikipedia. Oh, my God. I mean, this is just, this is getting off to a hot start. In any event, was drafted in the 18th round by the White Sox, which is pretty impressive that he was such a low draft pick. Uh, that was, this was in 1991, and he debuted in 95. He played a couple years with the Sox, uh, 95 to 98, all in all, 296 games, hit 23 home runs, so certainly had his best years elsewhere. Um, most notably for the White Sox, though, when he left, he was traded to Cincinnati for Paul Canerco. So that's what I'm talking about with that influential trades in White Sox history. Um, he was in Cincinnati for a year, and then in another trade that down the road impacted the White Sox, he was then traded from Cincinnati to Seattle for Ken Griffey Jr., uh, before 2000. So two very big name players that he was traded for while being a pretty big name player his own, in his own right by the end of his career. Um, some notable stuff from his career. He, like I said, he hit four home runs in one game and apparently hit one to the warning track in his fifth at bat, which would have just been incredible. Um, was a one-time all-star. And I know there was some other stuff in here that I wanted to make sure I got to. He had a couple of failed tests for stimulants and, you know, he's going the whole supplement is tainted route. Um, 
I'm going to say there was something in here that I had flagged, but I may not be able to find it. In any event, bounced around a lot. Uh, went from the after the Mariners to the Mets, the Padres, Brewers, Red Sox, Marlins, and then the Nationals in the minor leagues, uh, but never ended up playing with the Nationals. So that ended his career. Um, he did have some charity work during his uh, career. You know, when he made the All-Star team, he's bought his entire team All-Star game warm-up jackets, which is a weird thing to buy, like, uh, like you know, like a quarterback buying the lineman watches and stuff. Um, I guess notably, though, in his family, before we get to the LinkedIn real quick here, his son is actually Daz Cameron, currently on the Tigers, um, who was drafted in 2015. And this is that interesting fun fact I was telling you about. On June 23rd of this year, Daz Cameron stole a base on Yadier Molina, which thus makes him and Mike Cameron the only father-son duo to steal bases off of the future Hall of Famer. Uh, I agree with 90% of that <laughs> sentence. Let's just put it the way. That's awesome. I'm shocked there isn't more because he's not very good. Right. Yeah. It's I, I, who knows? Yeah. I mean, he's, he makes that hall of fame with grit. Um, in any event, uh, going over to LinkedIn now with Mike Cameron, not a lot on there. He is apparently the owner of Mike Cameron baseball Academy LLC. And according to his son's Wikipedia page, he instructed his son Daz on how to play baseball when, starting when he was 13 years old. So I don't know if he didn't pick up baseball till he was 13 or if his dad just did, decided that's when he was good enough to uh, start getting in on it. But interesting thing there. Got a couple endorsements here for strength training, broadcasting, blogging, leadership development, and sports. Um, but yeah, so that's Mike Cameron. Like I said, not a lot of impact on the field with the White Sox, but put a lot of things in motion Um that impacted the team down the road between getting them Canerco most obviously and setting the wheels in motion eight years in advance of getting Ken Griffey, who would throw out uh, who the who the hell was it? Uh, I can't think off the head of my off the top of my head, but the guy in the Twins he threw out at home uh, in the blackout game. That's pretty awesome. Um, I've mentally confused Mike Cameron and Cameron Mabin for the entirety of my baseball life. Even when uh, Mabin played for the Cubs for a little bit, I was like, did we get Mike Cameron? Like, I still like to this day. It was it was until uh, the same, it was always with, it made no sense either, Royce Clayton and Dexter Fowler until Fowler oh. became a Cub. And they, they have, I don't know, it's just, they were on like the Rockies, they played center field, like they don't look anything alike, but whatever. That's just like my, my, my mental finding. But super interesting stuff, very impactful baseball player, has a lot of interesting um, nuggets, I would say. I wouldn't say records, I'd call them nuggets. Yep. Uh, but in any case, that's what we would love to see uh, with LinkedIn Player Profile. And that's what we'd love to see with an episode. This concludes the return episode of Shields Goat Podcast. Of course, it's not a full episode unless we ask Pat a question that he has not heard before. Pat, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, to put on the uh, the hopeful cap here. Imagine that the White Sox are completely healthy by playoff time. Okay, does Yerman Mercedes make the playoff roster? Oh, uh, am I am I assuming for this exercise that they don't make? Basically, they get everybody back healthy except uh, that can be. So basically, Aloy, Angle, and uh, Robert. And then they don't make it like assuming nobody's added to the roster outside of that. Correct. So like, yeah. So Madrigal's hurt, you said, right? Yeah. He's done for the year. That's not even. Yeah. So he can't come back in this scenario. Okay. In that case, I, I'm going to say yes, because I don't know who else they would have to fill out the roster at that point. So Um, you'd you'd put Mankata probably at second and then Yerman at third, probably. Right. I would say what I would do at that point is, 
Um, assuming Eloy is playing left, which I'm convinced he's still going to play the outfield when he comes back, the roster doesn't really work any other way. Um, basically, you'd have maybe Eloy in left or possibly DHing. You could have Angle in left then. You're going to have maybe Eaton in right because you don't have another option, really. Vaughn maybe somewhere. I guess maybe Vaughn's in left, Eloy's in DH. I don't know. I just think the White Sox rely too much on having – uh, Yasmani Grandal and Zach Collins play that they are going to need a third catcher in case someone gets hurt. That's that's my take. I don't think he's necessarily going to be good enough to be on there. I don't think he's going to play a whole lot, but I think he's on the roster, at the, the way the roster is constructed. I'll take it. I was going to say, or you could keep him in the field and then re-sign Wellington Castillo, who's probably still looking for work. So, uh, in any case, uh, an option that remains. Thank you, Pat. I love it. I think it's a good answer, and it's one I agree with, um, especially just like for a pinch hit miracle at bat necessary in the Walking nine. off the World Series at 35th and Shields, Yerman Mercedes with like a single or something like that. That would be. But it would be game one, and of course, then they drop the next four uh, nope. to a – a, uh, a stifling Padres team. Anyway, um, <laughs> that concludes our episode. No further comments from that. Uh, you can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and then we are occasionally writing articles at sanchicago.com. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that concludes our episode. We'll be back probably next week at this time, Monday. Recordings come out Tuesday. Uh, remember, go Cubs, go White Sox, go MLB, and Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Have a great week. Oh!